listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to The Big Album Show. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. Today we're talking about one of you two's least popular albums, I think it's fair to say. Although on The Big Album Show, it's very, very popular because I know that Paul and I are a fan of this album. Of course, the album we're talking about is Pop by U2, released in 1997. And uh, it is true to say that critics at the time dissed it a little bit, uh, didn't see it as U2's best work. But I think that as time has gone by, it has stood the test of time and it sounds as relevant and as good as ever. What do you think about this album, Paul? Well, I I think you just nailed it there uh, from the get-go. In the sense that uh, this album divides opinions, divides loyalties, um, and still 25 years throws up questions. Uh, It's an unfinished record uh, by the band's own admission, and you can hear that at times in the recording. It spawned the joint uh, juggernaut uh, of the Pop Mart tour, uh, which I saw in Dublin, 31st of August, 1997. It spawned five singles, um, and you mentioned the mixed reviews. That is certainly true, and it did achieve mixed reviews. But what I think is remarkable about this record, and there's a lot of things that are, are quite remarkable, but the main takeaway that I have is that what this album does is it finds a halfway point between an experimental sound in the sense of the dance uh, influence that's throughout the album, and also, as the title suggests, a very mainstream pop record. Now, uh, I think that, I think it, it, it's there's, the album bridges those two uh, instincts, if you like, the instinct to be experimental and the instinct to sort of ride the wave of the certain of the sounds that were dominant uh, in the mid to late nineties. I think it's a great record. Right, I'm just going to nail my colors to the map from from the get go on it. I am big about this record. I love the ninety, the, the pure nineties of it all. Really appeals to me. It is it captures something uh, in the zeitgeist of 1997. Um, and you know, for me, the record still stands up today, and and I really like it and enjoy listening to it. And it's been a part of my life for 25 years. But one of the interesting things, Dan, is that 25 years after its release, it received very little fanfare in terms of um there's there's never been an anniversary for this record uh, and i don't think there ever will be and that reveals i think very mixed feelings on the part of the band uh, about this record yeah like it's always been a central u2 album for me just because of my age and it's kind of like you know i was 11 when this album came out so it, it, it's smack bang at the beginning of my own musical development as a music fan. So it was really yeah. one of the albums, um, one of the first U2 albums that I took a deep dive into. Um, and I love the fact that it's called Pop to start with, because in the 1990s, not so much anymore, but in the 1990s and before then, we've talked about it on the show before, music was taken an awful lot more seriously than it is today. And there was this kind of uh, attitude uh, towards bands that bands mustn't sell out. Bands must stick to a particular genre. Bands um, shouldn't get too creative because, um, you know, if they veer too close to pop music, 
they'll become uncool. But you 2 literally said, fuck that with the name of this album. Named it Pop. Um, and Bono, talking to Niall Stokes in Hot Press at the time, spoke about the name of the album. And he said, the indie scene is such a con. We're supposed to feel guilty about being successful. But that's what we wanted from the very beginning. We wanted to be the biggest band in the world. And The Edge said, in this album, we wanted to let the spirit of dance music emanate through the album. Um, and really kind of, they, they, they talked about really trying to grab the zeitgeist of the time. And I think you, 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 you hear that right through the album. And um, we'll get to the songs in a few moments. But like when you put this album side by side with albums from other groups and musicians that came later, like I'm thinking of the likes of... Tame Impala or even Radiohead or even Damon Albarn's Gorillas, which mixed guitar with drum samples, with synths. It doesn't feel as strange an album as it perhaps did back in 1997. Um, and I think you two did tap into a zeitgeist or maybe the zeitgeist yet to come because 1997 was an interesting year in music. If you think about 1997, you had bands like uh, dance music, like Underworld was big and you had Born Slippy and, you know, uh, Train Spotting was released around that period. And, and, and that kind of scene was happening. You also had Daft Punk releasing their first album, which was, uh, you know, really groundbreaking. And often when you turned on MTV or MTV Europe at, at the time, you would have the, the video for Staring at the Sun so, or Discotech side by side with the video for Daft Punk's Around the World. So they really did tap into this zeitgeist, as you two always do so, so well. Um, so, like, and, and at the end of the day, there's plenty of bangers on this this album as well. Yeah, I, I love all that, Dan. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, what, what we're trying to do on the Big Album Show really is just put on record the sort of conversations that we have about music anyway. And I, I think what you're saying there really sums up something for me, which is very, very important, which is the idea uh, of a band capturing something in the times, you know, and um, it's, 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 it does feel almost a certain 1990s thing to say because uh, that was something that, you know, bands frequently tried to do in that era, which was, you, you know, uh, which was to kind of capture the sound of the day and then try and kick it forward. Um, and so you hear that, that uh, so much of what was big in the 90s you can hear on this record, the Britpop sound, really clear on Staring at the Sun, for example, with the old wah-wah guitar, remember that? You know, the wah-wah effect. You see a little lad in hot press, you know, guitar player wanted must be able to do wah-wah effects. <laughs> that's the staring at the sun sound. And that's the closest they kind of came to the Britpop thing, you know? Um, I think that's very successful. They didn't do well as a single. The video didn't do particularly well. Um, the better version for that for me is the stripped back acoustic version that they played on the Pop Mart tour. Um, but you can hear it, yes, you can hear the Britpop thing, you can hear obviously the dance music that's running throughout, uh, you can hear Beck uh, at times, that kind of, uh, his sort of sound. And, you know, if you put it up with, with records from bands like Eels, um, you know, we've referenced Bjork already, you know, it, it's a sound, there's a kind of consistent sound there. You, you'd, you'd be able to say that album comes from 1997. Now, the thing, of course, that they did was, 
this idea of the dance music. It was a very common thing, of course, for dance artists to remix rock bands. And of course, they'd done that even better in The Real Thing and Lemon, and they'd be in quote-unquote club hits uh, when such a thing was, was possible. But what you said earlier, Dan, really struck me, right? This is from the era where a band or an artist or a group or a singer was very clearly defined by their genre. You had rock, you had pop. Within rock and pop, you had different genres, right? But genres didn't cross over. Um, now it's music has completely changed. Um, many of the contemporary artists um, you know, are mixing throughout their records, straight even their own individual songs, different sounds. And that's totally cool and totally normal. Whereas in the 90s, you know, for example, grunge and pop simply didn't meet. And when this record was released, grunge was probably still the dominant rock sound in the US, for example. Um, and along come you two with this album, which they call Pop. Um, and, you know, that album didn't make a lot of sense for US audiences. The tour, the Pop Mart tour didn't make a lot of sense. A lot of half-filled stadiums. Interestingly, Rage in the Machine opened up a lot of those U2 gigs uh, on the Pop Mart tour in the, US, in, in the US. And also, of course, Oasis uh, playing support for them uh, as, as well. Um, so, you know, when you, you, and you mentioned Staring at the Sun, and I mentioned how it was a difficult song to play live, or rather I said how the acoustic version is the version that they played uh, very successfully on the Pop Mart tour. But one of the interesting things about pop is that with the exception of Staring at the Sun, which briefly appeared on the tour, on the Elevation tour, the one that followed on from Pop, uh, which, sorry, didn't briefly appear, was included on the set list on that tour. This is not an album that you two play live after Pop Mart. It's almost, it's almost a forgotten record in that sense that live, you two completely jealousing it. Um, so it's an interesting point, I think, just about where this album sits uh, in the YouTube back catalog. That's a really, really interesting point. Um, because you mentioned earlier on, you, you you mentioned that it was kind of like an unfinished album. And what struck me there in terms of, in terms of what you said was, the, the, like, it's really, really interesting to me that they didn't play the songs, apart from Staring at the Sun, at, at uh, later gigs. And they were clearly unhappy with it afterwards, with the album and with... To it, the, they were they were unhappy with the production of the album because even if you think back to when they released the remember the two um best of U two albums they released kind yeah. of in the early two thousands there was a a gold one and a silver one and the I think the silver one was the one that dealt with the kind of later years of U two and so yeah. there was a few tracks um off pop on that but believe it or not U two remixed all of the tracks from pop that are included on that for that album. So on that album, you have Discotech, you have Gone, and you have Staring at the Sun. And if you listen to those versions side by side with the versions that are on the pop album, there's a very, very different, well, not a very, very different sound, but a, a, um, definitely a notably different sound between the tracks that ended up on the best of compared to the tracks on the original album. So um, it's, 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 they obviously have a really conflicting relationship with this album. Um, and honestly, I, I, like, why, why do you think that is, Paul? I think there's a number of things. I mean, they obviously, not only do they remix for the best of, 
uh, they also remixed uh, for each single. So the singles, uh, with the exception of Discotech, the singles are different to what you hear uh, on the album. The singles being Discotech, Stare at the Sun, uh, also If God Would Send His Angels, um, Please, and Last Night on Earth. I don't, they're all different versions. I mean, one of the big things, of course, about this record is that they're under a time pressure because Paul McGuinness, who would later part company with the band, booked them uh, the Pop Mart tour in advance. Um, it, the, the, the Pop Mart tour was 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 booked and ready to go, but the album wasn't ready to go. It wasn't wasn't finished, um, and I think that the fact that it was unfinished in the first it, it was un, it, it was an unfinished record, and uh, they had lots of time to make it. YouTube records take years to to make, um, but it was it was unfinished. And you, I think you can hear that particularly sometimes in Bono's lyrics. You know, um, it's almost as if some of the lyrics are placeholder lyrics. Um, and I think that there, some of the songs sound finished, certainly discotheque lead single is finished, certainly mofo sounds finished. Um, after that, though, it becomes a little less clear about what's finished. Um, but I'll tell you, though, one of the interesting things about this record as well, Dan, is, is that the, in, the, in the aftermath of it, they very much ditch the pop sound very, very quickly. Once pop marks over and, and pop is done, they totally ditch it. They do the best. They release the best of, which is which is the the the, the first best of is the eighties best of, and mm. um, that's the next album they they release, and that introduces a whole generation of people to the well, not a whole generation, but people who are maybe are a little bit younger to the nineteen eighties. You two, it's Time. led off by the sweetest thing, which uh, again is a, is a much is not a would not sit on pop. It's very much an eighties sounding early YouTube and the advertising campaign but the advertising campaign behind that best of the first best of was massive every tv station between every tv show like it was it was promoted like uh, um no album i've seen since really i like big time sorry paul and it was no you're right you're right and it was the vintage you too it was the it was that they were marketing that and that they were promoting Mm. it was completely different Mm. to what we'd heard on pop and then of course after uh, the best of the next record is All That You Can't Leave Behind and the big tour around that and of course Bono said uh, we're back applying for the, bo- the, the job of the biggest band uh, in the world so the pop sits uncomfortably there on that I mean I would go though if I was said give me your top three I would say Discotech has to go in there great lead single great sound quite long for a single it's over five minutes long great video or at least it's a funny video and again gone down that extremely ironic uh, road the whole concept for the album was that they'd set it they'd locate it in a discotheque so you can hear that um you know they they, they have a go at that at certain points on the album the idea of located in a nightclub and of course they open a nightclub in dublin around the same time the kitchen nightclub under the current clarence hotel so discotheque for me goes in there i've always liked last night on earth um i just i you know i, I like the lyrics on it like the chorus on it, Bono was having huge difficulties with his with his voice during this period, um, and so you hear the edge does a does a bit more there's a good bit more singing on the record than he might normally do, and he he helps uh, Bono through the chorus of Last Night on Earth, and probably if I was asked, you know, it's a difficult one, it's always hard to pick three. I'd probably go with If God Would Send His Angels, which is a more kind of countryish sounding uh, single. Um, it's uh, I, I guess. And I like the lyrics as well. The lyrics, the lyrics are good, and and there's a there's a there's a kind of a they're good in the sense that they they very much position you to into the uh, kind of country space 
but they kind of update the country rock sound. And I think that's one of the interesting things about U2, that they're a band that can do that, that can pull that off. And, you know, Bono sings, you know, the, the, it, it opens with, nobody made you do it, no one put words in your mouth. It's, it's just, he, he's just got a good way of connecting um, on, uh, with, with, now, it's questionable whether he maintained his lyrical ability right up into the present day. But I think the lyrics on pop are actually very, very effective and very good. And I think If God Will Send His Angels is an example uh, of pretty good lyric writing from Bono. Yeah, they're, they're incredible songs. Um, all three of them completely agree. Top, top notch. And really, if you look at this album, I would wager that there's kind of seven tracks on it that that really stand the test of time. And then the rest of them are good songs, but they're not kind of they, they don't they're not that memorable right and any album in my view that has seven cracking songs on it and a few decent songs is a really really good album so the ones you mentioned definitely those songs discotech a stomper last night nerd absolutely brilliant with that kind of you gotta give it away refrain and the really rock and roll guitar riff and then if god would send its angel so there's three other songs I think make the album. Mofo, really, really good song. Uh, the bass in this is unusual for a U2 song in that it's it's not, uh, at least for most of the song that I can hear, it doesn't seem to be Clayton playing the bass. It's a, it's a synth bass. The drums on this track are, um, are, are, are real drums, um, but they're sampled. Um, so you know Mullins did play the drums on the track originally when they were in the studio they did have some digital drums on the track as well but they eventually stripped those out so the drums you hear are real drums but they are heavily sampled so they sound almost electronic and glitchy then the edge is running his uh, guitar through I don't know what kind of like whammy pedals and fuzz pedals and all sorts of crazy guitar pedals um, as edge does and he's really like a the Edge is like, um, sometimes, on, on this song anyway, and, and other songs, he's like a kind of, um, the way he plays guitar, it's almost like a painter paints, and he uses effects like different colours on a canvas, you know, rather than kind of solely focusing on, on riffs. So he's famous for that kind of delay style um, um, of guitar, but on this song and other songs on this album and on Octung Baby and so on, he uses different colours, let's call them. Um, so that's really interesting on this song. Um, Bono's vocals are great and the overall feel of it is very dance. It's probably the most dancey track on the album and um, the most electronic sounding track. Then you have Staring at the Sun. We've already talked about that. That's on, on my top, I'm going for a top seven tonight, really cheekily. Um, <laughs> but three of them are, 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 you've included already. Then you have, uh, Do You Feel Loved? I think it's a brilliant song. And then um, Gone, um, close to the end of the album. Another really, really strong track. Um, and I think this the way this album starts is 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 particularly powerful because it, it starts with like disco tech and then I think Mofo comes along and um it like it it, it starts in quite a a powerful kick in the face way, you know. It's like a punch to the head, um, but in a in in the best way possible. Um and then there is slow tunes on it. There's one song, what's uh you, the the name of the song escapes me. If you if you wear your if you wear that velvet dress or yeah, play by is that Oh, Miami is no Miami no it is. It's oh, Miami, no, it's, it's if yeah. you wear the, there's one song that's really, really slow. Um 
Yeah, if you, if you yeah, wear that velvet that's dress, the one. that's the one. one I'm talking yeah. about. And it kind of yeah. has a, 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 a kind of a strange drum beat behind Bono. And he sounds almost like he's singing out a tune um, in it at, at times. That's a strange song. Um, but again, I, I don't dislike it as much as some people dislike it. I, I think it fits perfectly well on the album, you know. I think it's, I think it's terrific. And I think both If You Wear That Velvet Dress and Playboy Mansion mm. are very, very successful U2 tracks, if if unloved. Now, uh, If You Wear That Velvet Dress was included in the Pop Mart tour, Playboy Mansion wasn't, if memory serves me correctly. And I would have heard If You, Vel- if you Wear That Velvet Dress uh, when I saw U2 uh, on the Pop Mart tour in Lansdowne Road on the 31st of August, 1997 and it was just such a wonderful gig with great memories for me one of the interesting things though about that gig was you could get they did two shows in Lansdowne Road but you could get tickets for for the gigs so, uh, there wasn't it wasn't entirely sold out which for you two playing in Dublin was it you know was again it, it's not your normal experience of a U2 show the next when they when they came and played two nights in Slane after the, the after the after all you can't leave behind on the elevation tour both of those gigs were, were sold out um, and the first one sold out in record time. So, you know, but 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 the point I, I, I want to make about um, the play by Mansion is that it's incredibly of its time. Because if you listen to the lyrics, Michael Jackson history, you know, jokes about OJ Simpson, it's very, very much uh, 1997 and probably hasn't stood the test of time from that sense in the way that a lot of you two saw. I mean, you two are very, 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 very polished. They have the resources, the time, the skills uh, to make, I mean, really to, to create songs that are quite perfect um, in the sense that there isn't, but, but on, in pop, it's quite different in that there's, a, there's you know, there's thing, bits and pieces around a tune. There's strange sounds coming through on synths and so on. And then, as I said, there's a lot of those lyrics that feel quite unfinished. Now, one of the things that I wanted to, to, to say, Dan, is that you didn't include there in your top seven Wake Up Dead Man, mm. which finishes the record. Mm, true. And I think Wake Up Dead, Dead Man is, is really, really effective. It wasn't included in the Pop Mart tour, but they did play it uh, in the famous Slane gig, which they made a DVD of when DVDs were a thing, you two go home. Uh, Wake Up Dead Man was there just before they played Kite, and it was dedicated to the memory. Kite was dedicated to the memory of Bob Houston. But to lead in, they played Wake Up Dead Man. Um, I just have always found it a very, very effective uh, song. And when I, what I mean by that, when I say, what, what do you mean by an effective song? A song that kind of makes you, makes you think, yeah. you know? And, and the lyrics, of course, clearly are about, or, well, it's clearly about Jesus. And he, he, he goes, Jesus, I'm waiting here, boss. I know you're looking out for us, you know? And it, 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 again, I think it's coming quite funny. And again, to achieve that in the record, to have something that's quite humorous, uh, you know, I think is, is, is another reason to like pop. Yeah, I saw someone writing about um, waking up, wake, wake me up dead man or wake up dead man on a, on online the other day. It was an academic uh, from 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 the UK, but they had photographs of the 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 the, the, the pop martor um, and Bono singing this song at one of the gigs, and Bono is singing it, and as you say, it's clearly about kind of Jesus and that, but. The academic claims that Bono is looking up at himself on the screen at the gig, singing to himself, which is uh, 
classic Bono in a way. Um, but uh, <laughs> that, that's, uh, it, it, I, just, I just thought it was so, such a strange thing to do. I, I don't know, if, you know, I, I don't want to start psychoanalyzing Bono and, or, or the song because... But 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 it, but it, he he's he always has an interesting stage presence and does interesting things like that. I suppose to drag the crowd in and get them talking and getting the, you know I I don't know. He's, he's he he. I mean, one of the things with Bono is I mean he changes with every haircut in the sense that you know what you get with every record and every tour is you get a different Bono, you get a different glimpse into him. Um, I think the the on Pop Mart is closer perhaps to the real Bono uh, than a lot of, of the other uh, stage shows because he comes out fighting. And, and that was very much the Pop Mart thing. He comes out with this, this boxing uh, thing that he was he was doing. And it, there's a sense of quite a combat of Bono uh, uh, on the Pop Mart tour. Like what, and you mentioned academics writing about pop. There's acres of academic stuff about pop for some reason. Uh, acres of analysis. Um, some of it quite good and some of it quite interesting and some of it frankly frankly, is, is, is not but again what I mean by that is that you know when you're analysing the record like pop there is a temptation I think to almost go overboard mm. and almost to read too deeply into absolutely everything perhaps in the way that the, your friend who you referenced yeah. there did but look for me if I was to if I, I saw the Pop Mart tour um uh, 40, I was age 14 at the time um, it was in Lansdowne Road it had a huge influence on me at, at the time, I, I, it opened up for me this, this sense of anything being possible, and I know that sounds something's almost ridiculous and a bit trite but that's sort of the feeling that I got from that pop tour uh, and that pop gig that I saw that anything was possible, and one of the interesting things about the night that I saw, it was the night that Princess Diana had uh, tragically been killed in a car crash. She she died in the early morning, um, and uh, of that day, and they 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 played MLK for her, and they dedicated to her, and they had you know this these Princess Diana images on the on the big screen. Anyway, just a moment in time, Dan. Um, but I, if I was to sum it up, I'd say, listen, great record, get it, enjoy it. If you're familiar with it, keep with keep listening to it, keep with it. If you're not familiar, go check it out. It gets for me. I mean, if I was to give it a mark out of ten, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eight point five. I'm, 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 I, you know, there's no, there's not marks being docked for any particular reason. Getting to nine or ten is a very, very strong standard. So it gets a very, very healthy eight point five, and uh, I'll be listening to it for a long time to come. Yeah, I'm gonna give it an eight. Um, I think the, the, the like what you said about it, kind of. Bono having the fighting spirit at the time, I think, is really interesting, and I think that it makes sense, as you say, that they had Rage Against Machine and Oasis, um, on that tour, um, two kind of fighty bands, um, and some of um, Edge's guitar work on the album actually sounds a bit like Tom Morello from Rage Against Machine, so it's interesting that they were one of the bands on the uh, on 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 the tour. But look, what I my big takeaway from this album is that. I was a late convert to U2, right? I wasn't massive, uh, a massive fan of U2 in my teens. It was kind of later on in life that I became a much bigger U2 fan. But Pop was an album that I always liked, even before I was a U2 convert, because it is quite a, kind of different from other U2 music. Some of it is kind of like those songs, Mofo, Discotech, um, Do You Feel Loved, 
um, and so on. Like, it, there is a heavy element to this album. Now, there's the slow songs, like Staring at the Sun and, 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 and that. But there's um, this kind of heavier vibe to some of the songs that are, as I said, like getting kicked in the head by Bono um, in that fighty way. So it always kind of stood out to me as just a great album, apart from the U2-ness of it, if that makes sense. It's, it, it, if you look at it in isolation from the rest of U2's career, which is very difficult to do, um, it's, it's a quality album. And I think one of the reasons it's not given the regard that it deserves is because when you compare it to the rest of U2's career, it doesn't look as good, perhaps, but only because the other albums that U2 produced are just so good, are just so strong, are just, you know, full of so many classics that it's hard to compete with those. Um, if any other band released an album like Pop, people would be talking about it for years and years and years. Um, but because you 2 are so big, they um, Pop almost became a victim of the band's success, if that makes sense. So, so that's my takeaway from it. I agree. Listen to it. If you haven't heard it, do give it a chance. Um, and um, in, in, enjoy it and um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Big Album Show one yes. more takeaway thing because it just popped into my head yes. on our first episode Paul which was about REM um, and this is kind of a sneaky way of going go back and listen to our previous episodes folks <laughs> but you mentioned a really interesting fact about Out of Time by REM that they had on the um, album cover they had a petition or or or, or, a, or a letter you could send off or something what was that again? I... That was the... Um... That was uh, yeah. I, I, it was it, it was it was a, it was a petition about about, about voting rights. That. It was yeah, and 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 what, what, yeah. the reason that pops into my head is because I remember buying the cassette of Pop back in the nineties, and they had um, a link, not a link. They had it because it, this is kind of pre pre uh, that uh, just just before the internet really got big. <laughs> Um, but they had um, information about an Amnesty International campaign on the album yeah. sleeve I had, um, which again I thought was was really cool back then, <laughs> and it, and it was pretty. Yeah, cool. no, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I agree, Dan, and, and no, I agree, and 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 I and I, it's interesting that you should say you should bring that up. I mean, I, I remember that very well. Another thing that's very interesting. I know we've we've kind of we've wrapped it up in the sense we've given our our. Um, our hot takes and we've given our, uh, our our marks out of 10. But one of the interesting things that you, it just, something you said just struck, just reminded me of this. Lyrically, Bono has an eye to the future in a lot of the songs. And it's that, it's that moving towards the end of the millennium and saying there's a lot of optimism in this record. There's optimism about the tech age to come. Um, so for example, in Gone, he says, the last of the rock stars when hip hop dubbed the big cars at the time when new media was the big idea. It was the big idea. You know, there's a great optimism about technology and the pop mark tour was showing that off as well. What you can do with technology. There's a sense of technology will bring us all together. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, how, oh, how they got it wrong. But it was, there, was, there was that sense. And, you know, one of the things there, you know, he was seeing the demise of the rock star as the big dominant figure uh, in music when he said, 
the last of the rock stars when hip hop drove the big cars. So yeah, look, I remember that as well. Great. You had the do you, do you still have the cassette then? Um I think I do somewhere, yeah, lying about the place. Right, love it. Brilliant. Um, I did. Well, listen, thank you for listening to the big... Oh, yes, yeah, so no, The, ahead, the, the yeah. last thing I, 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 I'll say, and I keep having loads of last things I'll say, but uh, one of the things that I came across when um, when researching for this episode was that um, the drummer of the Foo Fighters, Taylor Hawkins, um, had some strong opinions on, on this album um, and didn't like uh, discotheque as a track and stuff. Um, but... I think um, just because we're such big music fans, I think it'd be right if we dedicated the show to the memory of Taylor Hawkins. Because we spoke about Taylor Hawkins on the on the big album show before, briefly on our Alanis Morissette episode. Um, and he, ha- he was one of the big figures in uh, rock music of recent times. So um, a shout out to Taylor's uh, friends, family, and um, our, our sincere condolences on um, the loss of uh, a great rock legend. It's it's funny you should say that, Dan, because today I just happened to be listening to some of his work, and I came across in my as I was listening to songs, I came across Mary Jane, uh, the Alanis Morissette track on Jagged Little Pill, and there is just the most terrific drum sound in on, on on it's just an incredibly it's it, the, the his use of the snare it is just so effective um and it gives this track this forward momentum and i don't i think without him that album would just be you know would, would be completely different so yeah you're right to reference him and of course he was a big fan of larry mullen yeah. um and like larry mullen and admired him um, and yes, he was one of the many people who has feelings about pop. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, great to, that we dedicate this pod uh, to his memory. You're listening to The Big Album Show with Paul and Dan. Please remember to subscribe, hit like, and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at The Big Album Show. Mm-hmm.